Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And we are back from the shores of COVID, <laughs> but we're not 100% yet. We have the hubris of joining the separatists, and now we sound like General Grievous. Yeah, so uh, forgive our very small and pathetic lungs this episode. <laughs> we are on the mend. Uh, hopefully, we'll be good soon. But if there's any... If there are any delayed episodes, we apologize in advance. We are doing our best, y'all. Okay. Today, we are finishing the D-Squad arc. D-Squad. This is part two. It is the Clone Wars season five, episodes 12 through 13, Missing in Action and Point of No Return. D-Squad. The fortune cookie for Missing in Action, a soldier's most powerful weapon is courage. Freaking love that. (laughs) That is the best. Favorite fortune cookie. Mieber always feels like he's in a 70s Vietnam movie and people would name their gun Courage. <laughs> oh my God, incredible. And get it tattooed on their bulging bicep. Exactly. So we pick up exactly where we left off at the end of the last arc on Abafar. The droids and Mieber Gascon still need to get home to Coruscant with Grievous's decryptor. Mm-hmm. So Mieber... In uh, what is the city called on Abafar Ponsmar? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. He swaggers into the seediest diner on Ponsmar and promptly gets thrown out because his personality still sucks. Sort of. We'll, we'll talk about that. He gets thrown out, though, by the Celestian diner chef. Yeah, whose name is Borkus. He's a real Bork in the us. And Mieber has meatbag foibles still. He's really hangry. So he has to go around into the alleyway and eat from the garbage because no one will serve him food because, and I say this again, his personality sucks. As someone who has dumpster dived in the past, this is the most disgusting dumpster. This is justice for every Mieber hater in the world. It is fantastic. Literally eat trash. Out from the kitchen comes A clone who doesn't know he's a clone. He's also extremely scruffy. His name is Gregor. He is a dishwasher in this horrible diner. Mm -hmm. Borkus, the head cook, found him one day and put him to work. And that's all he knows in his entire blessed life. So the D-Squad droids do some reconnaissance, and they find out that on this planet, there's a separatist landing bay, and somehow they have found a Republic shuttle. So Mieber wants them to do a repeat of the last arc. He wants them to slip undercover, commandeer the shuttle, and go home. But the droids rightly point out that the Separatists probably have their identity now because they literally did this 12 hours ago. If you see four astromech droids, one pit droid, shoot on sight. So they end up having to rope in who other but Gregor for help. So it is a good thing they do because it turns out he is a clone who doesn't remember being a clone and he has a very storied history. He was a captain Mm -hmm. in the Grand Army of the Republic, part of an elite squad. He was a clone commando. Which I gather is important. He was a clone commando. Mm -hmm. He was reported missing in action during the Battle of Sarish. He suffered brain damage, which gave him amnesia. And then somehow he crashed on Abafar, where Borkus found him, put him to work, and lied to him every single day of his life about where been, he came from. He's been living in slavery since then, basically. Yeah, so we will definitely talk about that. But he has been living with no recollection of who he is or what he's capable of. Mieber tells him all of this, and the memories start flooding back. So in order to help restore more of those memories, Gregor decides to help them with their mission. So he shaves his head, he goes looking for his uniform and his armor at the diner, but to get it back, he has to confront Borkus for turning him into a slave. Mm -hmm. So Borkus drags in this trunk full of his belongings and taunts him and hits his head against it as if to prove that Gregor doesn't have what it takes to be a warrior. Fortunately, we have our intrepid crew of droids, and they are very sassy, and they are very capable, and they suction cup Borkus's arms and legs and tie him up and push him over, Mm -hmm. and he's just like yelling obscenities on the floor of the diner. But when you think that everything is great, he laughs at them, and he tells them that the Separatists have been mining Rhydonium on Abafar. And they're going to load it onto that Republic shuttle that the D-Squad wants to commandeer, and then they're going to blow it up. Mm -hmm. But 
Gregor wants his life back, and there is no stopping him now. So he puts on his helmet, and there's five million kill counts sharpied on it. Like, he's the real deal. Yes. He is a very scary clone commando, like nothing we've seen before. He has a very cool carbine one-handed gun and a sweet backpack and like extremely heavy armor and he is ready to go he's ready to go so they get to the landing bay he covers the droids while they march on the shuttle you can see him learning relearning how to shoot in this scene it's incredible Mm -hmm. i mean not that he even once misses his first three shots take out three droids and he's like ah yes now I remember. He is one clone standing against an entire battalion of droids, and he is doing so good. BZ and Mieber get stuck and shot down in the middle of the battle, and he goes back for them. So there's these canisters of Rhydonium all over, and one of them blows up and knocks them over. And it explodes in this cool multicolored explosion. And he's like, never leave a droid behind. I cannot emphasize this enough. He's a one-man wrecking machine. Mm-hmm. He yells at BZ and Mieber to get on the shuttle. This is what I was born to do. So Mieber and Wack are piloting the shuttle. They're like, we can swing back around. We can pick you up. And Gregor says, you made me remember who I am. I'll make my way home. I promise. And they do something absolutely unforgivable. They take him at his word. They let him stay. So Gregor proceeds in this landing bay to keep shooting, keep knocking over these barrels of Rhydonium, keep knocking over like hundreds of droids at a time until he eventually it starts to explode. heroically at the center of this entire swarm of droids. The music swells. He explodes the Rhydonium. This big light washes over the screen. And then our heroes, minus Gregor, are on the shuttle making their way off of Apifar. And Mieber says, we will take your heroic story back to the Republic, and we will watch for your return. Yeah. So what happens in Point of No Return? In Point of No Return, you must trust in others or success is impossible. Mm. So Mieber is amped up. Mission accomplished. They're on this shuttle. They're flying to the Star Destroyer, uh, the cruiser up in space. They get there and there's no radios. There's no signals. The doors are open. They're like, huh, this is weird. They land and Mieber's like, ah, yes, I'm ready for my dinner. I'm surprised there's no welcoming committee. I guess they're all getting ready for my promotion ceremony. And they get to the bridge and they hand off the little MacGuffin to a clone, but it goes right through them because the bridge is filled with holograms of clones. And then the ship, the cruiser, jumps to hyperspace. And so someone's piloting it. And then out of the little pit where the crew stands, a bunch of droids pop up and a super tactical droid, and they start chasing them. R2 body slams a bunch of droids into the pit, and then they run off as fast as possible. He takes them out. We cut to two battle droids hauling this enormous bomb, lifting with their legs, not with their back, and they're they're so silly. And they drop this bomb off in this spot overlooking the hangar bay, and that is where R2 and the D-Squad end up. They tackle these droids all the way to death, and they're sitting there at a bomb, and the bomb is ready to explode. Because the whole ship is loaded with Rhydonium, so this bomb is the entire ship and it's big enough to take out the whole Republic fleet. And so Mieber's like, this is not my job. This it's is above my pay grade. And R2's like, well, this is all fine and dandy, but we can't escape until we get out of hyperspace. So they are making their way towards the shuttle when R2 peeks around and sees a little leptroid who's spying on them. R2 captures the leptroid and brings them in front. Their name is Bunny, and they are the best. And so Bunny has taken all of the little maintenance droids of the whole ship and put them in the shuttle. And Bunny has the coordinates for where the ship is going, and it's these strategic communications. The Republic Strategy Conference. But the super tactical droid has sent a buzz droid. Creepy spider beetle black widow looking thing. Well, it's this is the first time we see buzz droids, but we did see them famously at the beginning of episode three. They're the ones that saw apart everyone's ships. We will see them we in episode three. 
So now that they have the plan, they're jammed and they look up and they see that this buzz droid has been watching them. So R2 chases it down. He's running along on his turbo rocket boosters, trying to chase this buzz droid down. The entire group of droids ends up in this room. It's one of the gunnery rooms. So it's got a big uh, force field looking out into space. It's got big cannon and they can't find this buzz droid. And then they look up and they're surrounded by buzz droids. It is a nest of disgusting, scuttling, little, creepy, horrible spider droids. So R2 makes a ring of oil and then lights down fire around them. BZ. Heroically sacrifices himself. Heroically sacrifices himself by driving to the airlock and jooping out everyone who's not bolted down and putting the fire out. And now the droids are on their escape. They make sure that Mieber gives a nice eulogy. It's actually beautiful. Yeah. So they pop out of hyperdrive uh, and we cut to the strategic communications center. And they're like, isn't that ship coming in a little fast? And we see Anakin and Obi-Wan and Tarkin and the ship's coming in. R2's job is to disarm the bomb and everyone else is getting on the shuttle and leaving. When R2 gets there, he sees this super tactical droid and they get into a mega fight as they're fighting. Mieber is flying on top of one of the droids and they're looking around and they see that this fight is going on and they've got to go. So they get aboard their shuttle. They fly off except for R2. The tactical droid says, there's no way you can blow up. It's going to be perfect. Wait, what did you do? R2 has moved the countdown on the bomb forward. So it goes off Kablam. It explodes massively, but not when it's close enough to destroy the entire Republic fleet. Splashes everyone with debris. And Mieber and Wack fly out just in time and talk to Anakin. Anakin says, we need salvage crews out there now to rescue R2. And we cut to R2 being rescued and put back together. And he's a big dang hero. And uh, Wack and Mieber get to work together. They're like, we're going to see you every day for the rest of the war. And we were like, hey. Ta-da. So that's the D-Squad art. I feel like our low COVID energy levels did not do justice to how fantastic this arc is. So I do apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a really fun arc. There um, were so many tears mm-hmm. coming out of my eyeballs, Sam. It was embarrassing. So we were watching this last night, and I thought you were crying at the end of the fourth episode, but you were crying at the end of the third episode. I was losing my mind. I couldn't breathe. There was so much snot coming out of my nose at the end of the third episode that I had to go in and get tissues, and that was it. I had to watch episode four the next day. (laughs) So what do you want to talk about? I want to go big picture first because then I have some character stuff that I really want to talk about. All right. So big picture. First of all, fun Star Wars trivia, Sam. This was the 100th Clone Wars episode. Oh, fun. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah. Wow. That's cool for us. Very cool for us. Very cool for the screenwriters. Big deal. Yeah. So big picture. I think it's interesting that there's this MacGuffin, whatever it is, this decryptor, but it seems like they may have actually stumbled onto the actual plan because having one cruiser full of explosives, Kamikaze, the strategic council is like a huge war winning thing because you'll take out the entire command structure of the Republic. Losing Obi-Wan, Anakin and Tarkin would be major. Yeah. I think I was thinking big picture as in themes and not plot. Okay. Well, so in themes, there's a couple of cool things that popped up in this. One of them is that, as we alluded to, this is the first canon appearance of the buzz droids. Love them. Very fun. This is also the canonization of the clone commandos. So we see clone commandos who wear the same armor and have the same heads up display in their helmet as Gregor in the slightly previous Republic Commando video game. And we later see a few more of them, but... This is interesting to take uh, this extremely elite clone unit and make it into something which is uh, was Legends and is now canon. I think that's super cool. Yeah, super cool. What I wanted to talk about is that I think there was a challenge that the first arc struggled with that this arc overcomes. Tell me more. So the first arc, we struggled plotting it. And when we were talking about it, it was hard even to take some of the themes seriously. And I think it's because the stakes 
weren't high enough because there weren't enough bodies to care about in the first arc versus the second arc. So we yeah. love R2, right? But Avi, he lives. We're going to see him again. The rest of the droids feel sort of expendable. We we like QT. We like BZ. But they're, they're not droids that you really care about. And obviously, Mieber, we don't want him to survive because no one likes him. Oh. But they fixed it in this second arc by giving us Gregor, who heroically sacrifices himself, by giving us BZ who heroically sacrifices himself. More characterization for Wack, mm -hmm. who is really sweet and tender with Bunny. And by putting Obi-Wan and Anakin on this space station with a bomb cruising right at them ready to blow. Yeah, they did really raise the stakes, which is good because at the end of the first half of this arc, you're like, okay, so now they've reached... I mean, each at the end of each episode of this entire arc, it always seems like they're ready to succeed right at the end of the first one mission complete at the end of the second one we've reached town at the end of the third one we're on a shuttle we're headed somewhere and then at the end of the fourth we finally figure out what's going on yeah at the end of the fourth episode they do really get what feels like an insurmountable challenge mm -hmm. but i think it's cool that they showed us that you can have characters that you care about who are human and who are droids and both are capable of heroic sacrifice. And it was sort of this leveling field, this leveling moment for this kind of dichotomy that we've gotten over the course of the arc. Yeah, for sure. I think in the third episode, as they're tootling around the town, is one of the moments there because they're once again having the conversation, Wack and Mieber. Uh, why is Mieber there? And it once again boils down to him being small enough to fit inside an astromech droid. But he's saying, well, because I, I can improvise because I can change a plan on the fly. And the droids are like, we just don't make mistakes. Yeah, we're programmed to do it right the first time. Sickest burn in the whole arc. <laughs> but then Mieber says, but my intuition as we go around the corner shows us that there's a Republic shuttle right there and all we need to do is steal it. And then they come to that moment of R2 saying, hey, we're on wanted lists everywhere. Those droids are shoot on site. So it shows that they're really well working together. Yeah, I just, I think that throughout the whole arc, we've gotten this battle between who's better, a droid or an organic. Mm -hmm. And what we end up getting in these two episodes, Missing in Action and Point of No Return, is that both organics and droids are capable of heroic sacrifice that can change the fate of many. Yeah. And that is the great leveling field of war. Mm -hmm. Right? Is that one person can be totally insignificant or one person can make all the difference in the world? Yeah. Well, that's what Mieber says about Gregor uh, as they're flying off. Wax says, What is he doing? And Mieber says, Sacrificing himself. Like any good soldier does. Yeah. A soldier's job is sacrifice. And I think that's really interesting. But on the flip side, later on, when the super tactical droid is, you know, flying this ship. And he says, I will go deal with this personally, goes down to the bomb and is ready to sacrifice himself for the mission as well. Because if he's standing right next to the bomb, he's not going to live. I think that's interesting showing that the separatist droids also have a sense of sacrifice about them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's cool and I think we shouldn't overlook it. Yeah, especially because a droid is something which is ostensibly um, more replaceable than an organic one would think. I mean, based off of lines even in A New Hope of, hey, can I replace your astromech droid? As if it's like replacing a tail gunner or something. It's a pretty easy thing. Yeah, they're more resilient than organics. R2 gets absolutely blown to pieces at the end of Point of No Return. And then we cut scenes and we come back and he's just got a shiny new little canister and shiny new arms. And he's doing fine because apparently his memory banks were fine and his chips and circuits were fine so they're more resilient than organics yeah but they're also capable of the same level of personhood and sacrifice that i think we're always tempted to just assign you know in the real world to human beings and in star wars to living creatures living beings well yeah that's the fundamental existential thing is people are always assuming that people are special it's mm. like oh yes we're the only ones who use tools except for like 
bugs and ravens, and we're the only ones who farm except for leafcutter ants, and we're the only ones who have language except for, you know, a bunch of other creatures. And at the end of the day, there's really nothing special about us. We just have to assign that in order to differentiate ourselves. And it's interesting to see in the Star Wars unit, Star Wars universe, how Mieber is spending so much time differentiating himself from droids. Yeah, I love that this is territory that the Clone Wars is covering because the whole point mm -hmm. of Star Wars, to me, should be showing that humans are not special. We are not the only sentient ones in the galaxy, right? Yeah. And so that's what I'm always craving from Star Wars is seeing all of the other special, unique, brilliant, interesting, sentient creatures out there. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's where the Clone Wars really succeeds for me. And I love that we're getting it for droids too. Yeah, yeah. So- Star Wars to me is, uh, it's a combination Western and samurai flick, right? And so I'm thinking of how both of those have, both of those tropes would have a significant in-group and out-group. And so thinking back to the Cowboys, which is closer to home for me because I grew up in Colorado, um, you had a lot of white cowboys and a lot of black cowboys, uh, the Second Cavalry was stationed actually in my hometown, which is a colored cavalry unit back when that was a thing it could be called. And the and when segregation was part of the military. And this idea of people becoming part of the in-group through service, but also who were they out and stationed in Colorado for? It wasn't to fight, you know, it was it was to fight native peoples. And so there's an othering of native peoples and thinking of how in the Star Wars universe, if it is cowboys and Indians, you have the astromachs as sort of the tame minorities amongst the the model Republic, minorities, as it were, as it were, and then the other, the uh, barbaric opposing enemies are basically all droids with a handful of organics with them. I think that's a really interesting thing, but it also shows how uh, a droid experiencing personal character growth is what makes them like relatable in the story. Yeah. I'm not going to overlook that they have to prove their worthiness, right? And they have to prove it yeah. over and over again. And D squad in particular has to be better than any droid squad in history to be worth Mieber's approval. But I think that is something that we're looking at, especially today. I'm not sure that that necessarily would have been the context back in 2010. Yeah. But maybe. we're we're especially aware today of the ways that inequities present themselves in the world. So I'm looking for it in the Clone Wars particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm losing my mind. I have something that I desperately want to talk about. Can we talk about the hero's journey? Yeah, who's? Exactly. Okay, so a little background. George Lucas, we all know, was deeply influenced by Joseph Campbell and his hero's journey, which is this narrative structure slash mythology slash paradigm that was taken out of his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's kind of a meta structure. In yes. Joseph Campbell went and he examined a whole bunch of legends and myths and stories and found sort of a core journey. Because this was the 70s, it's a little dated now, but the, it, it's still interesting and it's still relevant. Definitely. And as far as Western storytelling, it definitely jives with almost all of it. Yeah. So let's walk through the hero's journey and. As you think about Gregor in particular, I'm just going to have you put Gregor in the back of your brain okay. while we're talking about this. Okay. So the hero's journey, Sam, always begins in the ordinary world. They're mm -hmm. living their life. And washing then suddenly, dishes. washing dishes, their life is interrupted with a call, a call to action, a call to adventure, something that's ripping them out of the normal structure of their life. So the hero, this is important. The hero can refuse the call, but it will get louder and louder and louder and harder and harder to ignore until they decide to do something that is called crossing the threshold. 
So crossing the threshold means they're leaving the ordinary world and they're entering some other phase of their life, some other chapter, even some other realm or planet. And crossing the threshold often takes all of their strength. It's really, really difficult, but it launches them somewhere new, somewhere they've never been before. Sometimes they need the help of a mentor to cross the threshold. And then once they do, they meet all kinds of people. They meet friends, they meet allies, they meet enemies, they face obstacles. And then finally, through all of these obstacles, they make their way to the place of their great ordeal. This is where they face a decisive moment. It could be life or death. It could be some kind of psychological difficulty, could be physical and psychological, but it is the greatest challenge they will ever face on their journey. And in that great moment of danger, if they succeed, then they gain a reward. And the reward might be treasure, or it might be the treasure of knowledge, a great understanding about their self. Or of being uh, remembered, being mythologized. And then if they succeed, if they're not a doomed hero, then they eventually have to find the road back home. Mm. So let's think about Gregor. His hero's journey starts in his ordinary world. It's the only world he's ever known. It's washing dishes on this crappy planet in the middle of the galaxy. So you remarked in this first diner scene, because there's several. So in the first diner scene, they walk in and you can see Gregor in the background. And I think it's only once Mieber is like, I am Colonel Mieber Gascon of the Grand Army of the Republic. I require food and charging and a communications array. And that is when Borkus is threatens it with a knife. Yeah, so Gregor's head pops up first, which yeah. I think is cool because it's like his subconscious is telling him something. Yep. And then when it seems that Mieber is going to be a threat to the status quo, yep. maybe by reminding Gregor of who he actually is, that's when Borkus comes into play and throws Mieber out. Then the first call to action when Gregor is dumping garbage on top of Mieber and Mieber says, you're a clone. And Gregor's like, a clone? What's a clone? Mieber climbs up on his face, pulls his eyelids apart, and stares deeply into his eyes. Checks behind his ears, yeah. like looks at his teeth. Like He's close enough he can actually read his serial numbers. He's like, <laughs> yep, you're definitely a clone. But Gregor refuses the call because he doesn't have enough knowledge, right? And then Borkus stands in the way and enables him to refuse the call further. Mm-hmm. So it's not until Gregor finds a mentor which I would argue is the hologram of Rex that Mieber plays, that he's able to even see that there is a threshold to cross. So that scene, Gregor goes home to his uh, mostly roach-infested garden-level bachelor pad. And opens the fridge, grabs a beer, and then R2 is peeking through the window and holograms through Captain Rex reporting for duty. And Gregor is like, oh, gosh, that's me. That's me. And uh, Mieber has snuck in and says, no, that's not you. But it could be. Yeah. Clones don't sit here washing dishes. They are heroes. Yeah. So in this sense, I think Rex and Mieber are taking on the role of the mentor. Mm -hmm. So the mentor, I mean, in the hero's journey, you can think of a Gandalf character, a Dumbledore character, even a Hagrid character, but it's someone who gives you the tools and knowledge to see that you have more to do in the world, right? Yeah. The friends and allies obviously are D squad. Mm-hmm. And that great ordeal that Gregor faces, I think, is coming to terms with who he really is, his destiny. Yeah, and, and that's the, and the treasure is the knowledge of who he actually is. And sitting there, getting to die in a hail of gunfire and explosions, which is you know, cool, cooler than dying being a dishwasher. Yeah, totally. But it is it is a full hero's journey. Even if he ended up dying, then he was simply a tragic hero. If he failed, he would have been a doomed hero. Mm. But if he makes his way back home, he will have successfully completed his quest. He should be immortalized in the annals of history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gregor is a very cool character in this arc. And watching a clone 
be the most. We've seen clones kind of die haplessly a lot, like in the Battle of Umbara and stuff. And watching the one-man wrecking ball that is Gregor as he combat rolls, jukes, dodge ducks, dip dives, and dodges through a hail of gunfire. He gets shot a bunch, but his armor is apparently just blaster-proof. Explosions everywhere, thinking tactically. And when BZ carrying Mieber gets knocked over, there's a very funny scene. Whack comes back. He's like, Colonel, are you all right? And Mieber's like, no, leave me. Go on without me. And Whack's like, okay, and leaves. But then Gregor gets to the ship and is like, did you all make it? And Whack says, no, the Colonel's back there with BZ. And Gregor runs back to rescue them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you could only pick one clone to have on your side in this situation, having an elite clone commando is probably the one you want. Yeah. He was trained for this. And you can see that muscle memory coming back to him. His vocabulary comes back for him. He says something like, I'll take care of the clankers. Yes. And you're like, yes, it's coming back. There's another moment when a bunch of droidicas show up. He's like, I forgot how much I hated these guys. And then he shoots an explosive barrel behind them and blows up the everything. Incredible. So that speaks to the other heroes who have a hero's journey in this. And I think one of them, perhaps in the fourth episode, is uh, Bieber. Oh, say more. So he refuses the call to action when he realizes that the problem has escalated, right? He's like, this is straight up above my pay grade. I was not sent here to watch out for separatist pirates. And he's very um, willfully blind about the effects of that because, you know, just driving a Jedi cruiser somewhere and blowing it up does not send nearly the message because if you can capture it, then you can... You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, so the droids rightfully point out, A, they can't get off the ship until they come out of hyperspace. Mm -hmm. So here you go. Here's the threshold. And then B, they're semi-sort of obligated to do something about this because they're Republic actors in a hostile separatist space. Yeah. So I don't know what Mieber's training says about this kind of situation, (laughs) but I think there's probably some kind of provision in the Little Republic Grand Army handbook that says, if you come across a separatist plot, do something about it. Well, that goes back to the previous episode when Mieber and Gregor meet. And Mieber is like, you're a clone. Are you under deep cover? I'm taking over. My job is, my mission is more important than yours, which is interesting. But also, I think that uh, Mieber is correct and that his mission is incredibly important. It is important. I guess I didn't see Mieber as a heroic figure because Whack constantly subverts him. Like he, Mieber has this beautiful moment in the climax of the final scene when R2 is blowing up the entire mm-hmm. ship. And Mieber's like, no, we can't leave without R2. Never leave a droid behind. We're going to stay. We're going to grab him. If we all die heroically, then we all die heroically. It's a beautiful speech. And you're Wack's like, like, already taking off. <laughs> I know. Wack is like, oh, sorry for your beautiful speech. I know this was a real point of growth for you. This was some real characterization. I'm going to completely subvert that. Mm-hmm. And that is why I think Mieber was making strides towards becoming a hero, but he never really seemed to get there. Over the whole arc, you start off and Mieber is not a sympathetic character, even after he rides the Dino Flamingos in episode two. By no stretch of the imagination is this a sympathetic character. I think he's sympathetic when he eulogizes BZ. He is. That is probably his one untainted moment in the arc. I think it shows over the whole arc his character growth from someone who has extremely high expectations of themselves and really wants things to go according to plan to someone who is now actually practicing what they preach as far as being able to adapt. Because no one goes into a plan, even though at the very beginning, Mieber says, not all of you will survive, um, no one makes a plan that is relying on sacrifice if they can help it, especially something like this. And by the time Mieber has sacrificed Gregor and BZ, he is sacrificed out. And I think he's learned the weight of sacrifice. Yeah. I guess my bias is showing because- She likes tall guys. 
Well, not that kind of bias. <laughs> and I can't laugh because I'll start coughing, but I'm laughing on the inside. <laughs> I guess I think that to be a hero, you have to be a good person, but that's because that is the kind of hero that we're shown by Western media. Yes. So Mieber doesn't have to be a good person to be heroic. But I kept looking at his willingness to make sacrifices and thinking, that's too many sacrifices. You're too willing to do this. Hmm. So by the time he gets sacrificed out, I'm sacrificed out on him. I'm like, you let too many good people go. And now I'm not willing to consider that you are heroic in any way. Interesting. But he still could be. Yeah. I think in at least American Western art and culture, heroes do seem to have to be flawless. Right. Because a flawed hero is intriguing, but even like a lightly flawed hero is thought of as an anti-hero. And you can take someone like John Wick, which is R-rated for our PG-13 listeners, but John Wick is uh, not by any stretch of the imagination a good person. But yet... He's a sympathetic character. An incredibly sympathetic character and... Everything seems justified within the context of those movies. And like, gosh, talk about the line between an anti-hero and a hero, when in reality, everyone is far more complicated than that. Everyone has their own foibles. And um, in a different time, a character like Mieber, or in a different culture, a character like Mieber would be much more heroic because there's this pernicious thought which invades historical thinking, which is the great man theory, right? Which is that uh, history is bent around the axes of its arc by great heroes. Yeah, like if you didn't have Genghis Khan, then no one ever would have filled the vacuum that Genghis Khan filled and history would have been different. Yeah, when, I mean, it would have been different, but Genghis Khan was just one dude and led an army of millions and each one of those millions did one thing, right? So- not not to mention that it completely reduces the enslaved, the minorities, and women for most of history. Uh, but we look back and we think that a lot of these war heroes are uncomplicated. There's, mm. I mean, there's almost a clear delineation in just strictly American history. We go back to the founding fathers, and they were all flawless. Then we get to like the Civil War era, and it's like, ah, oh, well, some of them were flawless and some of them were crappy. You get to like World War One, and you're like, okay. These were flawed human beings mm -hmm. who occasionally did good things. And then World War II, you're like, all right, Patton was basically possibly brain damaged, but also brilliant. <laughs> so you have like a really interesting thing. And then you get to, you know, Schwarzkopf and you're like, okay, he's just a dude. Yeah. Atreus, so a, dude. a lot of the media that we consume with heroic figures, I think now is superhero movies. Oh, and definitely. Speaking the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> has, you know, made their effort at making their heroes face some complicated decisions. But the the difficulty in these big budget films and the way that they create films for mass appeal for, for a huge audience is that they make people uncomplicated yeah. or they make them one note or they lean into tropes, right? So I have sympathy for Western audiences. We just haven't seen a lot of complicated heroes. And I think that that's a real disservice because complicated heroes are so much better and interesting. I think it stretches your brain, right? Like I, yeah. I'm having to stretch my brain to consider that Mieber could be heroic. And it's good for your brain to have to take in new questions and new thoughts about things like this. I mean, honestly, sticking to our area of expertise here, the Star Wars universe, everything after really the Clone Wars has been very controversial because the heroes are flawed and people act as if that's a huge disservice to the original vision. But in reality, a flawless hero is so boring. And also a flawless hero wouldn't even follow the hero's journey, right? Because a flawless hero, as soon as that call to action comes, they take it. And no obstacle can stand in their way. They hardly mm -hmm. need a mentor. They're not very interesting to watch. Oh my gosh, hardly need a mentor. That's uh, that's like the Iron Man story is people are always like, oh, you know, I was secretly your mentor all along. He's like, no, I'm a self-made inherited billionaire. So it's like, it's a silly story. Having, I mean, even Gregor is in his own way a flawed hero by being willing to sacrifice himself in that context, which he didn't really strictly need to. But- 
I'm sticking with Mieber being uh, a hero in one sense or another through this arc. That's my that's my spiel. So that actually brings up something that I really want to talk about before we get to Baywatch. What I found most meaningful in this arc was the stage of Gregor's journey that was crossing the threshold, because I think it tells us something really important about being a human, and it tells us something really important about our hero's journey, because we all have a hero's journey, right? You can look at your life, and you can identify when you've been called to action and when you've turned it down, Mm -hmm. right? So there's the moment in the diner when Borkus is tied up and Gregor's trying to leave with D-Squad. And Borkus says, don't go. The galaxy is so big and you are just one person and you don't know anything about anything. You don't remember how to be a warrior. Stay here where your life is simple. Yeah. And it railroaded me. I was like, who hasn't let someone hold them back? with questions about their ability and fears about the unknown. Like who, who hasn't done that? But also what did it cost you? What did you have to give up? Like if Gregor had accepted what Borkus told him in that moment and refused the call again, I think he would have been a doomed hero because he would have shackled himself to this life where he had no way of getting out because he had no way of understanding himself. He didn't remember his skills. He didn't remember his abilities. He didn't remember his history. Mm-hmm. And it's such a it's such an easy trap to fall into for someone to say the unknown is so scary. So just don't go. Don't do it. Yeah. There's also a slight jab there at the shackles of monetary society. Okay, right? I literally wrote down all caps capitalism yeah. question mark exclamation yeah. point question mark exclamation because, point. I mean Gregor is saying Borkus gives me a good deal because my pay doesn't even cover the rent and he makes up the difference, which like is obviously baloney. Borkus is like girl boss gatekeep gaslight all day, uh-huh. every day, all day long. Like the clones are brave warriors. Does that sound like you? But the fact that most of us aren't able to um, accept a call to action because we're shackled down with leases and student debt and car payments and what have you. I would argue that those are some of the obstacles that stand in the way, right? Those are the yeah. unknown. Those are the challenges that you face. The The call to action is difficult, right? And mm-hmm. capitalism makes it more difficult, I would say. But that's something that Gregor has to deal with. He's like, I don't want to lose this job. My rent is stabilized. Like I have <laughs> I have stability. Yeah. But what happens in our lives, and I'm sorry that I'm sermonizing, but this really hit me really hard because I think this is important for us to see in this Clone Wars episode is you will stay the same until the pain of being yourself becomes too great. And the pain of transformation is less great than the pain of staying the same, right? So I think Gregor was brave enough to say, yeah, capitalism exists, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm leaving this okay deal where I'm okay and I'm going to do it because there's something more important than stability and it's possibility. And in a way that echoes the Western theme because so much of the Western like Western movies, cowboy movies, uh, genre is about the rehabilitation of Civil War soldiers. Mm. And, you know, whether North or South, they're like, I have seen the true horrors of war. It's time to go make my living somewhere else because I no longer either have a family to go back to or a family I can go back to uh, that I can show my face to. And so going someplace under an assumed name, finding a new career just being able to strike out with nothing but your gun. Yeah, and whatever you had to give up, whatever you had to leave behind, you leave it behind because you are answering the call. So did Gregor answer the call? I think this week on Baywatch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Gregor definitely answered the call, right? Gregor definitely answered the call. In my headcanon, Gregor lives. Like no body, no crime, right? If there's no corpse... I don't believe it happened. Okay, hold up right here because I need to do this for her. I'm sorry. We're doing a little bit of spoilers. Okay. He does live. Yes! Oh my God, incredible! 
yes, this is all I've ever wanted. Gregor is so great. Okay. I'm incoherent End with how spoilers. happy I am. Okay. All right. Now that we've ended spoilers. That was like too much for my little COVID we, we lungs to handle. You might want to cut that out. <laughs> um, you, you did say the magic word before it was time, but I believe it is time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. All right. You have two choices, Sam. In my left hand, I hold the name of a clone. In my right hand, I hold the name of a droid. A droid? Which hand holds the name of this week's bay? <laughs> and why is it the left hand? All right. T- tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> if Baywatch was just about how many lives you save, mm-hmm. obviously I would have to pick R2. But yeah. Baywatch is not just about the amount of lives that you save. It is how many times you make Anna think to herself, I would literally die for this character. Uh-huh. I would give every cent in my bank account to this character. I would give my shirt off of my back to this character. And if we're going by that criteria, it is clone 5576 Gregor. Not R2-D2? You Not R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really cool fact that semi-justifies my choice to make it Gregor. hmm The name Gregor, when you look it up, it's origins and it's like Greek and it's Scottish and whatever. There's like a whole bunch of different different lines of etymology for this name. But the most common meanings of the name Gregor are watchman Mm. or the vigilant one. Mm. Mm. And Gregor is totally right when he is a one-man wrecking machine holding off so many waves of battle droids so that the D-Squad can get away. He's like, I was born to do this. He's right. He is living up to his destiny. It was written in his name. It was trained into him. He was born and bred to do this, and then he lived a life that was enough to give him the skills to do it even better. He is the watchman. He watched out for them. He was vigilant. He kept them safe. He did everything you could ask anyone to do. He gave up his entire life. He gave up stability. He gave up everything he'd ever known mm-hmm. for the promise of something better. And then yeah. he found it. Yeah. It was in him the whole time. The real genetic programming to kill clankers was inside you a whole long. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Fun. I cried so hard for Gregor. I actually... Physically, probably cried harder when BZ sacrificed himself, but I was in a a wobblier state. But I cried so hard when Gregor died. (laughs) Not died. I cried so hard when Gregor was doing his thing. Doing his thing. And it was the best. And that's why Gregor is Bay. All right. Who is your Bay? I'm going to go with Colonel Mieber Gascon. Really? I think he has the character growth to redeem himself. He's definitely the star of these arcs and by the end has become someone worthy of they've 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 undergone their ordeal. Interesting. I'd imagine in the larger meta narrative of Mieber Gascon's life that he probably refused a call to action a few times because once you're already a colonel, you don't want to go into the field anymore because it's dangerous and dirty and dingy. And at this point, they're like, okay, we're putting you in charge of the mission, but you have to go. And he's like, yes, of course, this is perfect. This is what I'm going to have to do to get a promotion. And then has to undergo this ordeal, which fundamentally changes him. Do you think you're the only person in the world who likes Mieber Gascon? Probably. Okay. As long but- as we're clear. As long as we're clear. You know, we've we've had a lot of dodgy characters. I mean, we have the Zillow we, Beast we on have Baywatch. Z- the Zillow Beast is flawless. <laughs> and don't ever let that name cross your lips in any sort we, of... We have a lot of interesting characters on Baywatch. I think Mieber Gascon's story is the story of this arc, and it is extremely compelling. Interesting. And it shows how great a wingman R2 is, because he will... He just does not care. He will honey badger a bunch of droids over. He's like, check out my new rocket boots as I light you on fire. He's great. If if we were doing episodes one by one, R2 would absolutely be on Baywatch Mm -hmm. because R2 is the best. R2 has 
arguably a bigger impact than Gregor has. Oh, yeah. But I do think it would have been possibly a more compelling story if I were to rewrite this in the modern benighted dark times of 12 years after this was originally released to have Mieber and the mechs sacrifice themselves on the ships that R2 could live. And um, that would have been really interesting from the perspective of we know that R2 doesn't die, right? It would have been fascinating. And also I think Mieber didn't reach the end state of his journey because yeah. he finally came around to the fact that droids were capable of sacrifice and that they were capable of being good soldiers. So it would have been even more interesting if his end journey had been like, I am willing to sacrifice myself for these droids. That's how worthy I think they are. So he yeah. didn't quite get there for me. I think this is a very spicy take. I think that would have been a tougher one, but I can just imagine like a clear as day, R2 sitting there alone after landing and, you know, Anakin puts him in his little charging port and then R2 holograms up Mieber and Wack, oh. like bantering back and forth and just playing it quietly as the camera pans out in the dark. Oh my God. Imagine how many war buddies R2 will have lost by the end of his life. The answer is so many. Yeah. R2 is a tragic character. Incredibly. R2's seen it all. But I love this end. One like, of the, can yeah. we have someone write this? One of the funny things about droids, uh, having recently replayed Knights of the Republic 2, they just delete parts of their memory out. There's there's a mission in Knights of the Republic 2 where you're playing HK-47 and you need to delete a bunch of stuff out of your own memory so that you can like attack different things despite your own self uh, um preservation protocols and i think that's funny that a droid would be able to be like i believe that lava is fine now because i need to walk across this lava and just change the way they think fascinating on the fly and remember and unremember things on the fly it's just a very fundamentally different way to think about moving through the world and i think that's perhaps why people don't respect droids but it's also one of their deep strengths yeah that would have been the sad ending but it would have been interesting well, that was one obvious choice for Baywatch and one spicy hot take. So fascinating. We are finally getting to what I gather is the most dramatic part of the Clone Wars season five. Just anytime Maul is on screen. Anytime anybody talks about the Clone Wars to me, they're like, okay, but Darth Maul. And I'm like, wait, I'm not there yet. <laughs> so next episode, we are finally covering the revenge arc slash Mandalorian crime syndicate arc of the Clone Wars. It is season five, episode one and episode 14. Mm -hmm. So if you want more Skywalker, make sure to follow us on Patreon for all of our spicy takes that we can't put on the, uh, the show and send us your holocrons at growingupskywalker at gmail.com. Follow us on social and send this to someone who has undergone a hero's journey. Oh yeah. They, they answered the call and mm -hmm. they crossed the threshold and then they found the road back home, a different person. And also send it to someone who washes dishes. Yeah. Jeez. What a <laughs> crappy job. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.